The information provided on the Finesse Your Money podcast is not intended to constitute legal, business, financial or other professional or product advice. It is provided as general information only and is not intended as a substitute for personal advice from a qualified and licensed professional who is familiar with the facts of your particular circumstances. Ever asked yourself where your money is going? It's a common problem for businesses and people personally. Is it dumb luck to be successful with money? Or is it the smartest and most successful businesses and people that plan and know their numbers? Is your money out of control or needing some finessing? In this second season of Finesse Your Money, we're focusing on growth for businesses and personal and practical steps that you can take to grow. We explore what inspires our inspirational guests and the importance of giving back. We've also got some excellent tips from our guests about their planning process and who they rely on to keep their money under control and set themselves up for a bright, happy future. Get ready to be inspired. I'm Janine Wilson, the host of Finesse Your Money. I've been a financial advisor for 10 years and an accountant beforehand for, well, many more years. I'm the founder of Finesse Financial Advisors. Hi and welcome to Finesse Your Money. I'm Janine Wilson and our guest today is Heidi Denning. I first met Heidi about 12 or 18 months ago and I instantly liked her. She's got a great big smile and a great big heart. When she shares her empowering insights from stage in workplaces or via online platforms, Heidi leaves people wanting to do more, give more, have more and be more. Heidi's the author of a best-selling book called Her Middle Name is Courage, which is a fantastic read that describes how Heidi has transformed her real-life setbacks, such as a paralysing illness where she lost the use of her legs, to gunpoint kidnappings from tsunami terror and narrowly escaping being burned alive when petrol bombs were thrown at her room, to where she now shares strategies to inspire others to find courage and become self-leaders. Heidi is currently on a crusade to make sure organisations and their people are resilient enough to come out of these stressful uncertain and changeable times. Heidi often appears in the media as a resilience expert. She was recently chosen for the New South Wales Government's Inspirational Women Showcase and has been awarded Westpac's International Women's Day Local Hero Award. And I'm delighted to say Heidi has just been awarded the Best International Keynote Speaker Asia Pacific in the International Business Women's Awards 2020. Congratulations and welcome Heidi. Oh, thank you, Janine. That, you're the first person who said that out loud, so I'm really excited to actually hear that because it's only come in in the last 12 hours, so oh, thank you. <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? And I just um, and just such a well-deserved award. Congratulations. Sincerely, Heidi. Thank you. So tell us about your career and business and what excites you about it. I feel like I've got education in my DNA. No matter where my career has taken me, there has always been education as a foundation and that actually started as a secondary school teacher. I, I taught in the best and worst schools here in Sydney, in London and in Vanuatu. I then progressed and opened my first business uh, which started from my stinky garage with $200 worth of second-hand equipment <laughs> and over 17 years, it was a health, fitness and education uh, company. And over the 17 years that I had that business, I grew it. I retained a, an amazing group of staff. We won awards. We had to move locations, thank God, out of the stinky garage. Uh, but another three times to bigger and better premises. 
and I was able to then sell that business for the price and the terms that I had asked for 17 years later. Now, on the side of that, I also had a not-for-profit uh, based in Vanuatu where we had education programs, specifically literacy programs and girls empowerment programs because, you know, I have this central belief that education changes lives and until we all get to have equal opportunities for education because that's where that's when life opportunities come, right? You know, education is the foundation of that. Uh, so we had hundreds of volunteers across three countries and I suppose it's what you would call a side hustle these days. At the time, I called it a passion project. But now I have a different kind of business. I now, as you said, I'm a keynote speaker, normally on stages around Australia and overseas. <laughs> Due to these current times, uh, we're doing virtual keynotes right now, of course. Uh, I do webinars and workshops with organisations and their teams and I also have authored a book. That is the background of the career but what excites me is to be able to see transformation and I think that's why being an educator, why I love being an educator because I get to see transformation. With everything I do, I, I, I want it to ensure that people are able to take what they need for their specific life and put in little micro changes. It doesn't have to be big stuff. But, so micro changes for themselves personally or professionally or within organisations, sometimes just little tweaks in policies can actually have really big impacts. So being able to see that transformation is really what gets me out of bed every morning. It's really interesting when you say that. It makes me think that transformation is much like in financial services, um, you know, the compounding effect on your money. You know, small changes, small amounts compounding over a very long time is a massive difference. Absolutely. <laughs> so tell me, Heidi, in business and life, how important is it to be open-minded to new ideas and new ways of doing things? Oh, it's absolutely crucial, Janine. I, mean, I, I came from public service background my, my dad was a policeman my mum was a teacher I, I you know I went into teaching because I, I really had thought that were, that's all I ever wanted to do and that's all I had aspired to do I hadn't been surrounded by business owners or entrepreneurs really at all uh, but since kind of transitioning into that world and having no idea what I was doing <laughs> And it was, you know, trial and error, trial and error, you know, fall down, pick myself up, learn a little more, go to another course, read another book, listen to a podcast. You've just got to keep learning. You've got to keep educating yourself and, and being adaptable to the way this world is changing. I mean, all of us, of course, right now have had to be more creative than we have ever had to be in our lives. And for those who want to keep their head above water and not just survive this current um, uh, pandemic, but actually thrive from it, that's all going to come from being able to be flexible, adaptable and creative. And that is where that open mind is just so important. So at Finesse Financial Advisors, we maintain a strong commitment to putting the client first. What does that mean for you in your role and how does that um, you know, tie into building resilience in people and teams? Yeah, well, I've always said it's people before profits. And when you can put your people before your profits, then the profits will come. But if you are just so focused on that bottom line at the expense of everyone within your organisation, within your team, 
that's where there's just going to be this complete disconnect and things are going to fall apart. So exactly what you're saying, putting people first is absolutely necessary. And I had been thinking about because what I, you know, I do a lot of work around how to improve people's physical, mental and social health so they can perform better at work. But there's another health component there and that is a financial health component because when you're not financially healthy, uh, that really can impact your, especially your mental health, but also your physical and social health. So it's like four quadrants of a circle of, of health and the financial health side of it is just as important as the others. And, and that's from my experience. I see people all the time responding in different ways to financial stress. I mean, there's always that person who sticks their head in the sand and, you know, others that, you know, immediately respond and do something, you know, talk to their creditors or whatever it is. So, you know, it's vitally important to really have a strategy around that and, you know, deal with those demons or whatever it is if, if you're erring on the side of, you know, do nothing, hide your head. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and other people, you know, just might work harder, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. We all respond differently, don't we? Well, absolutely. And, and that's what's so interesting. And, I, I, you know, I, I, I have seen quite a lot of change in this area within companies are bringing in people to do financial well-being sessions with their team members because they're understanding how important that financial part is. If the money can't budge of what's being given from the organisation, then we need to look at the different ways that, or the different opportunities you have to ensure that you, you, you become or remain financially healthy. And I think that is a, a key component to being resilient to changes that go on. I, I applaud those companies. Certainly, I've been working with one particular company on just that, you know, helping them work with their people. There were so many changes and, you know, this particular company kept their business open, changed shifts, kept people employed. But, you know, just the mere fact of changing shifts could have caused an impact on the you know, their home life. Yeah. Uh, and just because they kept were kept employed didn't mean that other family members in the household were kept employed. And so I yeah. really do applaud companies that, that go that extra mile, if you, you, you know, care to describe it that way, just to make sure that their people are, are doing okay. Absolutely. I, I was recently, well, last year, working with a very big national company who had changed locations. Now, you, it wasn't a long way, but for some people, this company had retained, you know, people for decades. They were very loyal staff members. But so they had bought homes and had their kids in schools around where this location was. And when the company changed, it just caused so much stress because, you know, the ripple effect of having to travel for so much longer impacts, you know, lunches being made for kids in the morning, school drop-offs, who, if you can do any kind of physical activity, you, you can't join your touch team anymore after work. And there's all these impacts that things like that have that can cause a lot of stress within a company. And, I mean, thankfully this company recognised it and they brought me in to help build the resilience of the people during this time of change. And so they were really understanding that this was having a ripple effect. But, of course, it also had a ripple effect on them financially for exactly the same reason you were talking about your example. No one lost their job, but there was more expenses in petrol, public transport and time and the ability to do other things that might bring in some money. 
So it did have an impact. Absolutely. So helping clients build a blueprint for their financial future is what excites me about the work that I do day to day. So tell me more about your work and your the unique issues that your clients face, especially when it comes to their financial future. Yeah, I think like I was saying that, you know, people, it appears to me that people can be very confused about their uh, financial situation and what their future will look like. And the impact that this has on their physical, mental and social health is really quite apparent to me. When I'm going into organisations to work on, so we do a, a top-down, bottom-up, you know, it's, it was already interesting for years, you know, I'm brought into to, to these businesses and they're like, you know, I, I want you to make my people more resilient. It's like, well, what are you doing to your people that they have to be more resilient? Like, you know, <laughs> let's start with that first. <laughs> Because if you are burning them out and making them work ridiculous hours and there's no chance for professional development or flexible work, like, I'm sorry, whatever they do in their private life to build their resilience, we spend 90,000 hours of our lives at work. So... You've got to get it right there first. And, and that's so true. I mean, I've left businesses. I've left businesses and, and business leaders that just didn't understand the yeah. long-term effects of, you know, that sort of level of, of stress on their people. So tell us about the book and the power of courage and resilience. And, you know, if you can let us know three common mistakes you're seeing right now as we face into this second wave of the COVID pandemic. I mean, the first thing, I think it's okay to make mistakes. I think that's really important that people know it's okay to make mistakes because we don't know what to do there's no there's no how-to book there's no red bus book uh, telling us when when a global pandemic hits this is the way we should do it so I think you know a lot of people are getting very paralyzed with the fear of the unknown and the fear of the uncertainty and the fear of stuffing up so to me the most important thing right now is for us all to recognize that we can only make decisions based on what we know today and they could be very wrong next week. And we just have to sort that out. We just got to use that adaptability we talked about, use that flexibility and make the decisions next week that are right for them. So I, I think that's the first thing. What I see, or the good things I see is when we have these courageous leaders who are leading from a place of courage. And I think the most important traits we can ask of our leaders right now whether that be in government or in our businesses or in our communities, even volunteer groups, are four things. That they are calm, that they are kind, that they are smart, and that they are visionary. So the calm, the world is hectic right now. There's so much stuff on that is just going crazy. What we need are leaders who even if they're like the swan and their little feet underneath the water are going like this, they need to appear like it's okay, I've got this. We need calm people. We need calm leaders. Secondly, we need kind leaders. You know, these last few months have brought out some of the worst of human behaviour, but it's also brought out some of the best of human behaviour. And... I think our actions today will shape who we're remembered for in the future. So it's so important that we are good role models, that we walk our talk, you know, because actions speak much louder than words. So be kind and let the ripple effect of that go through your teams and your organisation. Be smart. Be someone who can 
you know, source the right information. There's so much clickbait and hype. Uh, we need leaders who can just filter that and go, no, these are the facts. And these are the decisions we're going to make because of these facts. And lastly, we do need visionary leaders. We do need someone who can say, look, I know we don't really know what the world's going to be or what your role's going to be like or what our lives are going to be like, but it is going to be okay. This too will pass. It may take a lot longer than we all ever imagined, but we will come through and we need to be able to have that hope. We all need hope that things will be okay in some new way. And I think that's calm, kind, smart and visionary leaders is who we need. It's really interesting as you were saying that, Heidi, I was thinking, you know, this is an opportunity for leaders to really turn the Titanic around, if you like. If they haven't been well-liked or, you know, they've made some missteps in businesses in the past, this is really the chance to, oh. to, to turn it around and, you know, prove their mettle. Absolutely. And again, you know, it'll be those ones who have enough EQ to even know <laughs> that that is a situation. I mean, that's the problem, that they may not have that. Mm. The ones that do, they have an amazing opportunity because people are really looking for strong, courageous leaders right now to help guide us through it. So what's your best advice for people going through, you know, a traumatic life event or struggling with the pandemic right now, and you know, to protect their mental health and well-being? I think the, the, the first port of call is always to reach out to a professional. If you are struggling, if you're off balance, if you know things are not quite right, then you must reach out to a professional. Go and have a, a chat with your trusted GP and let them see what the next steps should be but as a preventative like I mean we're all I wouldn't say preventative that's not the right word because we in fact we're all uh, probably have this level of stress underlying level of stress that we first of all, first of all have never experienced and secondly we might even um, not understand how it is impacting us uh, so we need to be aware of that and put things in place that we all know we should be doing things like taking a lunch break you know, when you're working from home and the boundaries are really blurred between work life and real life, um, you know, putting boundaries in place, starting your day off, um, not straight onto your emails, you know, having some time for yourself. I, I talk about them being these structured self-care sanctuaries where you, you know, have some stillness, have some movement, nourish your body, nourish your brain first thing before you start. Take that lunch break. If you can get outside into fresh air with the sun on your back and the wind in your hair and hearing the birds, beautiful, but at the very least, take a break away from devices. Um, a big part of what we all need right now to stay mentally healthy is to find some joy. You know, what can we put in our lives that makes us giggle and laugh out loud? I mean, do you have a friend that is just funny or is there someone you follow on social media that just cracks you up. I mean, I love Celeste Barber. Like, seriously, I don't know if you've ever seen her stuff. She is a crack up. And no matter how I'm feeling, if I just see one photo of what she's done, I, it just changes the way I feel. You know, if the dopamine goes off with a bit of a giggle and my whole mindset changes. So, and as, of course, uh, doing whatever you can to fall asleep and stay asleep. And, and that is very difficult when you are stressed out. You know, you might be able to fall asleep, but then you wake up staring at the ceiling, worrying about the next day, the next week, the next month. And, of course, 
when you wake up sleep deprived, you are not as capable of dealing with the stress that comes the next day. So it's this terrible vicious cycle. And I'm, I'd be happy to share with your listeners, I've done a lot of work around improving sleep from being a chronic insomniac from being a little girl. And I have a worksheet that people can just tick off all different things that they, they might already be doing, but they could try for their lives. So I'm happy to share that with you, Janine, because sleep changes your world. Thank you. That, that's very kind of you, Heidi. So I hope you're enjoying the show. Heidi will be sharing her big money tip shortly. So um, as you were speaking again there, Heidi, it just was occurring to me that I've seen a big resurgence in people getting back to sort of crafts and things, you know, playing the guitar or, you know, artwork or, you know, whatever it is that really lights them up. And I think that that's, you know, what you've said there about, you know, bringing joy, Marie Kondoing yourself. (laughs) Absolutely. And you're so right. I mean, these are, I mean, we talk about what are the silver linings of these last few months? Well, that is certainly one that people are going back to these hobbies that do bring them joy. And it's beautiful to watch bit of a change of pace now. Tell us about yourself growing up and what initially sparked your interest in writing a book. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I grew up here in Sydney and I had a, a wonderful childhood. I was very lucky. I had two loving parents and we, we, we had a nice home that um, was in the kind of northwest area of Sydney and I grew up very sporty spice playing tennis and running and on my bike and doing all those kind of things. Uh, yeah, and then, I mean, I, I the, the, probably the biggest blip that I had growing up was when I woke up one morning to find that I'd lost use of all, all my legs, my two legs, <laughs> not all my legs, <laughs> lost all use of my two legs. Um, yeah, I'd caught some rare uh, virus that meant that for the next eight months I couldn't walk, which for a sporty spice was pretty traumatic. Um, you know, I was only 11 and I certainly had not had any kind of adversity. So that was certainly a huge adversity for me. Um, but it, it did, it, you know, at the time, I didn't know it, of course, it, it taught me lessons of courage. It taught me lessons of resilience. It taught me lessons of having to lead myself so I could overcome that particular adversity. So which learning those things at that age has set me up to be able to rise above other unique adversities that I seem to have attracted into my world at different times. So that was how that worked. And, you know, with the writing of the book, it was interesting because I had never thought that I would write a book. It wasn't you know, my childhood goal to do that. My childhood goal was to win Wimbledon, <laughs> not not be a bookworm or, you know, it, it was just like two different worlds. But I had survived a violent crime a number of years ago that had really changed, changed everything personally, professionally, physically, financially in my life. And I really, I suffered very badly with post-traumatic stress disorder, worsened insomnia, physical pain from the injuries and emotional pain from the deep levels of stress that the adversity had caused. And it was three years after that event, on the anniversary of that of that um, event, I was sitting in the backyard uh, recovering from a surgery that I'd had. And, you know, when you... I'd had all this pelvic pain and, and nausea for nearly a year 
and at every test kept coming up saying, you're fine, you're so healthy, don't worry about it, like it's nothing. But you know when you just know there's something not right, uh, especially when you, I was just like nausea. So they did an investigative surgery and they found that I had stage four endometriosis, which is the worst stage on five of my organs, uterus, ovaries, bowel, rectum, appendix. My appendix was so rotted with it that they had to remove it. And so that day when I was sitting in the backyard on the anniversary, I was thinking, you know, although I've got over it and I've built a new business and I'm fine, I wasn't. You know, I had kept all this rage around that event locked down deep inside me and it was rotting me from the inside out. So I knew that that day I needed to find a way to turn that story of rage, which is what I had, rage, into a story of positivity. And that's when the idea of the book came. I didn't want to just write a book about that story because that would give power to the people who did, did it, who had never been brought to justice. What I wanted to do is extract the learnings that I'd had from it because that would be a good part of my process, right? So turn for rage into, all right, what have I learned from this? What did I learn from having that paralyzing illness? What did I learn when I was forced into a car with an AK-47 at my head in South Africa? You know, what are the things that I've learned from these adversities that we can now apply to our own lives? And if I could do that in a book and give one more person in this world the courage to be able to overcome their own adversity, that would be enough. Brilliant. Uh, I, I love that story. I, I feel almost moved to tears, Heidi. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so pleased that, you know, you were able to get that on paper and, you know, it must have been a real sort of joyful cleansing exercise, if you like, to sort of confront and deal with that rage, as you say, that anger. Yeah, it was. But I knew it, it, I, if I didn't do it, I, like it would completely ruin me. Uh, and I know that sounds dramatic, but the rotting had already started from the inside, you know, and... If it's, that's the thing, like our, our brains and body send, send to us these warning signs that things aren't quite right, but we, we often ignore that. And, I mean, I talk about that so much now uh, within organisations. You know, I've got this stress map where, you know, we all start with kind of being a bit resilient. Then we get a little bit stressed out. And, you know, stress can be quite good for us. It's motivating, it's challenging, it makes us, you know, helps us to meet deadlines. But there's a tipping point and that's when we can spiral into burnout. But the thing is, you don't wake up one morning burnt out. <laughs> Your body and brain has certainly sent you warning signs, but we just, we're so busy, you know, we're so busy and we've got things to do in this world. It's like I can't prioritise myself. I've got children, I've got ageing parents, I've got a business to run, I've got stages to speak on. So we put ourselves last, but of course, as we know, you're no good to anybody if you're unwell. And I think the low point in that is that you become completely invisible to yourself. And so you certainly need to get professional help to move forward from that and, and you know, bring back your health and wellness. Absolutely. I mean, you know, they say it on the plane. I know it's the overused example, but it's so true that 
if the plane's going down, you put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on your child and before you put it on your mum. You know, you've got to put it on yourself. And that's true in life. So what do you wish you'd known when you were starting out in your career or life in general? Well, I suppose in my career as a teacher, I wish I'd known that uh, teaching teenage boys as a young 21-year-old PE teacher is never going to be fun. (laughs) There's going to be trauma involved in that. (laughs) Once I realised that, I said, right, that's it. I'm not teaching another boy again. (laughs) And I didn't. (laughs) But I think just in general for my career, uh, because suddenly going from that business, the health, fitness, education, where I was really um, very much me, it was a B2C. I then, when I finished, when I sold that business and started this new B2B and I'm walk, working in corporates and, you know, the, the, the fancy pants end of town, I suppose, I felt that I, I really needed to be more corporate. And I even look back on some photos and the way I did things, even in my marketing, I was just trying to make it all very corporate and corporate bland, really. And I was, I was dulling myself down to fit into that mould. But it didn't work. I couldn't fit. Like I was like a square peg in a round hole and my messaging made no sense to me, let alone anybody else. Uh, so when I kind of came to the realisation that I, I just I needed just to be me because when I could be me and just talk what I know, the messaging that I know, which I 100% know is impactful and will help transform when I did it from a place of my Heidi Denning uniqueness that's when things changed but it took a while because I thought I had to fit in I've been there and done that I've 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 spoken before I'm sure many times about feeling like I was putting on my black and white pinstripe penguin suit (laughs) to go to the office (laughs) I mean I would never have worn these big green earrings back in that period of time never I would have thought no way but that's me so pearls or diamonds for me (laughs) (laughs) go ahead (laughs) (laughs) Heidi tell us do you have a financial plan and what have you done personally to get control of your money and at the same time you know supporting the people that you care about so will I get into trouble if I don't have the perfect financial plan that I say to you right now today (laughs) (laughs) no it's no you won't (laughs) we can talk later My financial plan is, for one, I've been very lucky to be married to a very talented builder hubby. So we have uh, been able to buy properties. He goes in and waves his magic wand and the uh, value has increased quite incredibly. So we have property has been the way we have uh, kept our financial stability, N- not shares. And I know, I know the answer would be that you have bits in all bobs, but we have felt confident staying with what we know, I suppose, is uh, the best answer to that that part of that question. Uh, The second part of how we stay control of the money is, I mean, I'm not as um, risky with money. I'm quite uh, conservative. I don't like to spend more than we have. uh, So that is always a little bit of a stress for me if things are borderline I, I get a little stressed over it and I think just being brought up in a public servant household we didn't have a lot of money just lying around to spend willy-nilly you had to watch what you were spending and I and, and then being a backpacker for two and a half years around the world you know <laughs> you know 
every dollar counts, how are you going to stretch it out? So I feel like that's still part of who I am. Uh, and the other, the third part of that is uh, I have a very strong work ethic. I love to work. I really do. I don't, I, I, I'm not picturing my retirement. I know that's another thing that you'll probably say, naughty girl, because I want to continue to do this for as long as I can. I love it so much. So I, I but yeah, I've just got a strong work ethic. So interesting points, Heidi. And I think from a financial planning perspective, I mean, I always advocate that people invest in what they know. And if they don't know about something, but they need it for diversification, we'll talk to an expert and get great advice. And secondly, financial discipline is so important. And a lot of those behaviours are ingrained in us from a very young age. And so, you know, sometimes people need to, you know, look at and modify their behaviour in order to be successful financially. And again, if you don't have that financial discipline, get some expert help to get you on the right pathway. And, you know, um, there's nothing wrong with taking time out and going around the world. (laughs) I think many, many people um, want to do that. You know, I I recall a few years ago, I was speaking to a young client and I said, you know, what's what's the dream? And he said, I I want to be a digital nomad. And at the time, I had no idea what that meant, but I do today. Uh, And, you know, many, many people I speak to, including many of my clients, really don't plan on a full retirement for a very long time because they love what they do. And I think we've... um, evolved sufficiently as a society that we understand that there is life after the nine to five that you know I don't like that term side hustle but at the same time there's many many people who have built expertise over many decades and are now able to you know transform themselves or transition into you know sort of a, a lovely role life after work and it doesn't have to be your typical you know, board position or something like that. There's many older people, you know, I, I think I spoke to Hunter Leonard about it very early in the in the podcast series, so check that one out, um, you know, who are, you know, finding other things to do in the that third age that's really meaningful and you know, not just to them but as a contribution to society. So you're on the right track. <laughs> I mean, that's a, a beautiful thing that our world allows us to do now, right, to be able to have this other opportunity when we are what would normally have years ago been in our retirement years but instead we can choose to do something more meaningful and give back to the areas that mean something to us absolutely so what's your top money tip and what's one thing our listeners can do right now to help their businesses or themselves financially in the long run i know this is maybe a little bit off not off track but to the side of that is to me the best way, my best money tip is to always put a little bit of money aside so you can find joy and live life well. And I don't mean having to be fancy pants, but if you don't have these tiny little habits of putting bits of money away so you can go on the camping trip or take that extra day on top of the long weekend so you've got four days to break up work life or just normal you know the daily grind of everything that goes on that people have to do in their day to me the best money tip is that you are ensuring you've got something to look forward to because not only does that mean that you are uh, doing that having the habit of becoming financially healthy to allow that to happen but again that spills over into 
improving our physical health, our mental health and our social health. And I just think that is so crucial. It's often something we forget to do when we're so busy saving for mortgages or cars or, I don't know, clothes or gadgets, whatever it is, that we forget where's the bucket for joy. Where where, where can we put some money for joy? I love it, Heidi. That's a fantastic tip. So where can we find you online? And, you know, do you have any go-to resources to help us today? Yeah, thank you. I'm HeidiDenning.com. All my uh, handles are Heidi Denning. That's Denning with one N, D-E-N-I-N-G. But I think what I'd love to offer for everybody is, as I said, it's hard for us to know how these times are actually impacting us. And I have an online scorecard, a resilience scorecard that takes about three minutes, but it just steps you through some of the things you might not be identifying that are putting you off track a little bit in your behaviour or the way you're feeling physically, mentally, and it just will pop out a score so that you can understand actually how resilient you are in these very stressful and uncertain times. So I'd love to share that with uh, your community because I think it's really important to ensure we understand where we're at. We've got to be aware of where we are at. Uh, So, yeah, I'd love to share that. Thank you, Heidi. Look, I'll make sure that we get the link and pop that in the show notes for the podcast episode. So thank you. Thanks for joining us today. And thank you, Heidi. It's been such a pleasure to have you as my guest. You shared such insights with us. If you'd like to know more information about Finesse Financial Advisors, please go to our website, www.finesseadvisors.com. If you'd like a discovery session with me, please email admin at finesseadvisors.com and we'll send you a gift voucher valued at $150 to be redeemed on the call. That brings us to a close. Until next time, bye for now and thanks again, Heidi. Hope you enjoyed the show today and have some action steps you can take right now to get control of your money. Join me, Janine Wilson, next time for Finesse Your Money. Meantime, head to my website, www.finesseadvisors.com or email me at admin at finesseadvisors.com to claim a gift voucher for a discovery session with me valued at $150. Make sure you put gift voucher in the headline.